I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hi, you're listening to Georgie Speakman on Rebel Radio, hosted by Josh Levine. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today is my friend Georgie Speakman. Georgie's the host of a great show on Dash Radio called Outlier, where she talks to innovators and entrepreneurs, including myself. She had me on the show recently. If you want to check out Georgie's show, you can hear me running my mouth about uh, all the crazy stuff I've been through. She's also involved with um, a lot of work between brands, entertainment, innovation. She's got some great stories to tell about how she's found her way in this business, how she's learned to let go of the things that weren't working for her and really figure out uh, what she wants to do with her life and her career. Some great lessons that we can all make use of coming up right after our EDM.com track of the week. Size me up, I bring the facts out. I do not speak on it if it don't involve cash routes. Just talk the money and he said he on the way. Uh, my team be drooling on the side of underlay. I'm talking felines and fillets on my entree. Yeah, I'm multiplying stacks like I'm entree. Erica's high body's all up in my sheets. When Tyrone hit her phone, she hit that nigga, please. Yeah, I'm just jugging and finessing shit with ease. Yeah, I'm trying to flip my salad in the blue cheese. Yeah. That little cool time paper do not mean a thing. Yeah. So at ease, yeah. So at ease, yeah. Gato out here running balls and rolling weed, yeah. Camo shoppy out here going ham on bees, yeah. And you gonna die out in these streets if you don't eat, yeah. 
That was 88MPH with Team, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com, check out more new music. And now let's get into the interview with Georgie Spooks. We go crazy because we won't Well, thanks for doing this. I know uh, you were. Um, I'm excited to kind of continue the conversation because I was just on your show. Yes, you were. I know and it was awesome. That was good fun. Yeah, I could have kept going. We'll still a million and one questions. Well, to ask we'll you. keep going now. Yeah. And we'll try to turn the tables on you a little bit. Um, so, but I'm excited to kind of dig into your story a little bit. It seems like we have similar paths in, in some ways and, and um, a lot of the same taste in friends, mm -hmm. which Absolutely. is always exciting. Yeah. So uh, we, I know we met through Chris Denson. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Chris. We love Chris At his much. book launch party. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you guys are doing a bunch of stuff together and then even just looking at your site for Outlier, mm -hmm. I see a bunch of familiar faces on there. Yeah. Uh, from Kyle Berry. Yeah. To um, Henji, who I, who's uh, an old friend boy. who I haven't talked to in <laughs> many, many years. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about all that as we go, but let's um, let's dig into kind of how you got started. Sure thing. Well, I read something you said about growing up in Adelaide, and that uh, that hip hop fed your soul, mm -hmm. which I think is an interesting way to put it, and and so. How'd you, so I, I don't know, we don't think of Australia as necessarily know, right? uh, the, a, a home for hip-hop. What do you think about music from a music perspective when you do think of Australia as uh, a... You know, men at work. I don't know. <laughs> no. Kylie, soundtrack right? to Yeah, Kylie or soundtrack to Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, something like that. That's right. Um, you know, I feel really privileged growing up in Adelaide from a music perspective because it was a very, um, there's a few random facts about Adelaide. It's first of all, Austin's sister city. Oh, cool. So it's a combination of like a music and emerging tech scene. Yeah. So the state government recently invested over, uh, you know, 50 million into tech startup capital uh, in the state, but that's recently. Um, back in the sort of, um, you know, mid, early, mid, and just through the decade of the 90s, really, um, there were a bunch of music promoters um, that just had exceptional global taste. Mm -hmm. So instead of like more, you know, like Sydney was more of a commercial state musically, so you can rely on, say, going to the clubs and stuff in, in the likes of a Sydney. And by the way, I started young. I was in the clubs early, like at 14. I used nice. to sneak out. That's the and, way to uh, do it. Sneak in through the back with DJs and stuff. And so I got to know the music scene um, from, and, and I was hanging out with much older people in music. Sure. Um, and, you know, Sydney, it would be just the typical R&B play on a radio versus Adelaide, they were like bringing out a tribe, you know. Where you at? To all my people with the funk, I'm the undercover brother, dump your hole in the trunk. Save all the sad songs and the tear jerkers. Niggas step back, it's the lyrical worker. The points that I create ain't in paperback books. They'll bring out Islay, Fortet, they'll bring out all these amazing DJ producers, um, metro area. Mm -hmm. um, like a whole bunch of very cool, unsuspecting acts nice. that have really informed the, the music industry. 
Um, Adelaide's also like the the drug capital of the country. Okay. It's also got the highest underground like crime rate. It's um, a real, and then it's also got the oldest like money and history mm. um, in a lot of ways. So it's got this really crazy mishmash of sort of. Um, uh, lots of different people, characters and things. And because it's small, it's only like, what, one point sort of two to five million. I'm not sure what, where it's at at the moment. Um, you kind of cross paths with every man and his dog. So instead of being in an isolated sort of uh, area or vibe or whatever, you kind of are crossing paths with people from all walks of life. And that um, makes it a, a far more colourful and creative city. And then last not, but not least about Adelaide is it's the festival state. So it's actually oh, got cool. some of the dopest world music festivals and stuff. Nice. Um, and also Fringe Festival, um, WOM, which is yeah, the world music um, festival. So some of the best music festivals and arts festivals in the world that actually come to Adelaide once a year. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Casper. You know you spend one third of your life sleeping and if you don't have a good night's sleep, it's just a mess. You're not going to be productive. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to make bad decisions. There's all kinds of problems associated with not getting a good night's sleep. I know for me, as I get a little bit older, sad to say it becomes harder and harder sometimes to get a good night's sleep. But I got this Casper mattress with supportive memory foam, a breathable design so I don't get too hot at night. I know in other beds I used to get super hot. I was sinking into the bed, all that stuff. Casper fixes all of that. And they now make three mattresses. There's the original, they got the Wave, which is a step up to a premium foam that contours specifically to your curves, or if you're price sensitive, there's the Essential. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial. There's free shipping and hassle-free returns, but I think you're gonna love it. And I'm gonna hook you up. Get over to casper.com slash rebelradio and use the code rebelradio at checkout. You're going to get $50 towards select mattresses. Please note this offer is only applicable to select mattresses and terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash rebelradio. Use the promo code rebelradio at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. So what does it mean to be a hip hop fan in that environment. Now that you live here and kind of see, you know, what, what that culture is like in the US? Um, great question. I mean, I felt like I grew up with all the same stuff that you guys did in the 90s because we've, I mean, I remember getting the airplay for a lot of, whether it's the Biggies in the parks of the world or Nas or, um, you know, most Def or Q-Tip, Tricle Quest, Common. I mean, the list goes on. Bush Babies, there's a uh -huh. whole range of like, Acts and Bush babies, that's a good one. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. What, what happened to them? They had a great career. It was short-lived. <laughs> but there's, there's, I mean, there's so, so many. Yeah. Um, um, and that's what I was, that's what I grew up listening to as a young person. I think from, um, I went through my own fair share of trials and tribulations, and I think music was just, um, uh, mu music was just my absolute, like, outlet, solace, yeah. all that kind of stuff, and I really leaned into it. I used to sit in my car as a young person, smoke a big fat doobie to myself and literally listen to like a Beats Rhymes Life type album from beginning th right through to the end with my eyes closed, head back and just like totally vibe out on the music. Sure. Um, and then I went to, I went and did a school exchange in um, South Carolina. 
between 95 or 96, 97, around that time. Mm. And um, it's just when, um, you know, um, Biggie and Park, when it, some of their tracks are really, really blowing up. And this is before um, the, the shittiness of that whole era went down. And um, yeah, so I, it, it was like the same, same. The same music that was getting airplay yeah. in South Carolinas or whatever was happening sure. back in Adelaide. Interesting. Yeah. What was it? <clears throat> So you said you started going clubbing early. <laughs> Do you remember um, the first DJ that sort of impacted you? Um, to be honest, they were, the, they were, they were local kids. Our yeah. local crew that was sort of in their mid to late 20s or yeah. even early 30s. Um, you know, Driller Armstrong. There's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of local DJs that names that would mean anything to anyone listening to this um, that just just had exceptional curation. And to be honest, there was only probably half a dozen kids that were sort of running the whole city and the, the scene. But you got to remember, but you know, back then um, in the 90s in Adelaide, the clubs were open to six till mm -hmm. six a.m. Mm -hmm. So people would often step out at two or three a.m. Um, and I grew up with Sia Furla, so like she's uh, older than me, but we actually dated um, brothers from the same family. Oh wow! And so I used to like go out with her and have like dance, you know, cigarette stealing competitions and dance offs. And there were lots of amazing acts and people and talent like Sia, the Sia Furlas of the world that actually came out of Adelaide, um, um, that were really out there informing the scene and the vibe. And and it was just a mini, super fucking vibey, cool little micro scene, microcosm of music and, and, and underground clubs with just exceptional taste. Like not, and sorry, you asked me about the LA versus that. I mean, it was just all tasteful stuff. Like sure. all the good old school 90s hip hop that, right. um, that you say you'd go out to like the dime here and you kind of hear, you know, I listen, a lot of the same tracks that I grew up with or listened yeah, yeah. to back then yeah. are playing, playing sort of a there versus, you know, I don't know, somewhere else. I didn't know Sia was Australian. She is Australian. She's an Adelaide. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I think one of her first albums, like in 97, was like, I think, I want to say I see, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that's wrong, but it was an album with an I. And I still still sing a lot of those tracks in cool. the shower, um, a cappella version. So, like, if if, um, if I step out, you know, unless it's work-related or something, right, I will go to the likes of a dime purely for the music, mm -hmm. and it takes me back, and it just really hits my soul because it makes me feel like, um, you know... Back in the day, it just makes me feel connected. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I know you do, um, I want to talk about career stuff. Yeah. So I know you do a lot of things kind of like I do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you seem, the, the common thread, well, you'll tell me, it, from the outside, it seems to be being around creative people and, and facilitating what they do. Um, 100%. Was that always, and I know you've told me some stories about being in the recruiting business young. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I'm interested to know kind of how the, you know, I want to talk to, to what you're up to now, but I'm interested to know how the 
vision took shape? Yes, so um, I've always really battled um, between my identities as an artist and corporate person. So I'm an absolute artist at heart. I've always sung, danced, um, I've had time acting. What was your um, first time on stage? Oh, I mean, as a, as a kid, yeah. doing ballet, dance yeah. performances, singing. I went to a, you know, a singing, dancing school uh, outside of normal school. Um, cool. And um, was that, was that a, were you thinking of that as a career path? Um, it was such an organic passion. Like I've always had this uh, deep desire to be able to have an outlet. Yeah. I've always needed that creative outlet. Um, but I, you know, I remember quitting ballet when I was like eight to stay home to watch MTV so I could actually keep up with what was happening in America. Sure. And like I used to That's learn. That's better than ballet. <laughs> it was, you know, because um, I just wanted to learn what was happening with <laughs> Black Box and like, uh -huh. do you remember Black yeah, Box? Pump Up The Jam, that uh -huh. whole era in the yeah. 90s. Like literally, I think it was 1990, a lot of those tracks were. So I think it was through that time, but um, yeah. So I mean, I always, like anything I could do, I'm one of those crazy jack of, jack of all trades where I can do pretty much a bit of everything. Mm. Um, and so it was always really hard for me to, in probably many ways, focus because I was hungry, so hungry to do everything. Write on the piano, write, poetry, stories, this, that. I mean, even when my, um, even when I was a kid, you know, and the kids are playing outside, I, I was on my mum's typewriter writing short stories, creative nice. short stories, all about, always about the world around me. So always very curious and observant of the way other human beings and people were interacting. Mm. Um, hence why I started the podcast, because of the genu genuine curios curiosity of other people's lives, how they think, how they choose to show up, how they're contributing. Um, and that cross-section of sort of art and, you know, business and, and just general creativity. Hmm. Um, but because my father's like a self-made businessman, in, he, he, had a, he hit the jackpot in the 80s and 90s in recruitment, executive search and, manage, you know, management consulting on the people side of the business, not finance. And um, uh, he was a single dad, so we, were, we chose to live with him. Um, and I think, you know, he was just, he was fiercely focused on it was all business yeah so he kind of raised me like his eldest son so growing up it wasn't like the 2.0 mum and dad uh, dinner at a consistent time it mm -hmm. was all over the shop you know we'd have to yeah. feed ourselves do whatever take care of ourselves and then when it, when they were, when he was home if he wasn't out working or traveling we always had ceos and executives board directors whatever in the home so what I found myself doing from the age of, you know, 13, 14, 15 onwards was like, hey, Mr. Jones, hey, Mr. Whoever, um, how's business, how's da-da-da? And I got into this, you know, my father was like, stay in the study and like watch Tony Robbins. And I'd be like, okay, dad, so I feel like sitting, you know, in his yeah. study being forced into listening to or watching Tony Robbins and interacting with these senior level executives. And I got into this habit of asking questions demonstrating curiosity, trying to understand all sides of industry, mm. all this kind of stuff from a super young age. Um, and so, you know, like the obvious path 
you know, because the creative staff, after studying a business degree and like doing, you know, majoring in corporate comms and marketing and then doing a film and television degree and being incredibly passionate about experiential film, just filmmaking, writing, directing, producing, um, it was kind of like trying to curate a career in that space in Australia was incredibly difficult because yeah. the industry was basically non-existent. So to get in was was hard. Mm -hmm. And my father kind of was at that you know at that age um, when I was very much still under the influence of such a strong, powerful, <laughs> you know, controlling, influential figure, where he was just like, if you don't have a fucking job in the next couple of weeks, Georgie, in, in film, you're gonna go and work in recruitment. And I just, I freaked out because I, you know, I had bills to pay in Sydney, all that kind of stuff, obviously out of home. Um, and so I took a job in recruitment. So I ended up becoming a senior consultant, launching a brand new desk from scratch at the age of 22, after doing a couple of internships at Sony Music and with a PR firm. And um, um, pay, paid, paid contracts, actually, not, not sort of the same internship as mm -hmm. uh, the America stuff. Sure. Um, we, we like to have people work for free. Yeah, so 22, I was in there at 7 a.m., 7.30, working till 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 at night, um, literally doing everything, yeah. absolutely every every side sure. of the industry and building from scratch. So um, I started this aggressive business career and I was, to be honest, really, um, I mean, part of me, like that hungry side of the business business side of myself, you know, loved the hunt, loved the chase, loved the, the challenge of it all and connecting and going fighting for business at 22 against these 35 year old executives yeah. that are trying to fight for the Citibank business or Commonwealth Bank's business. And I, I was doing publishing, like all sectors, right? So finance mm -hmm. to marketing to whatever. What, what do you think you learned from all those Tony Robbins videos? Um, just, um, I think I just always had such crazy hunger, I think motivation, like I always had the hunger and ambition and motivation there. Um, probably just wasn't Tony Robbins. I was like a bunch of different books that I read yeah. through that whole area era yeah. in that vein. Um, I mean, just probably the fight just to never give up, but like that era was so like, wow, there's such a, it, I remember being on the bus and thinking, fuck is this how human beings like is this what we do is this life is this <laughs> business is this cor the corporate world yeah everyone's in a suit the hustle and bustle the nine to five or seven to seven whatever whatever yeah and looking around going this surely can't be life like this mm. surely can't be it and then going on that that and, f and and obviously realizing this absolutely cannot satiate my heart and soul mm -hmm. and like how to find the creative balance and the pursuit of making records and singing and whatever after hours and working with producers to try and write an album or f finding creative time to continue to write and like continue to stay rooted in create creativity that was the challenge and i think finding the balance i mean what did i learn from tony robbins I don't know, other than just keep on keeping on and mm -hmm. like trying to find the balance of like self-belief and mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, what, um, so you talk about this kind of inner struggle. Yeah. What's the, um, how that, how, how, I, don't, I think that never quite resolves itself, but how does no. that, <laughs> but like what was, was there a moment when you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, there was a specific point in time where I had the opportunity to really pursue a potential and successful acting career. Mm. So eight years ago, um, almost just about this time, I came to LA um, after, and I had always sustained the business career, right? Yeah. But what I had done is take time out to do some feature films, 
whether it was two weeks or a month or whatever, and I'd always go back to work, right? Yeah. Everywhere, we, you have to pay your bills. Sure. And I was never going to be waiting tables because of my passion for business. So I've always continued to scale that. But so this time off, though, I was like, I had savings. And I was like, I'll come to LA for a few months and see if I can see if I can get a couple of meetings with an agent or manager. Within a few few days, I'd signed with Innovative Artists as an agent and signed with um, Philip Watson at LBI, Pete and Rick Yorn's management company, which mm -hmm. is the same home to Leo DiCaprio and Appian Way, um, Benicio del Toro, you know Jude Law, Justin Timberlake, Cameron Diaz. I had a whole bunch of names, and they just started this boutique management department. It was me and two other sort of American guys in this indie film department. And I started getting put up for lead roles in American TV shows, all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, and I was like, well, shit, you know, like it's, it's on. I just have to obviously get go back to Australia, get the visa and come back mm -hmm. at the beginning of 2011 and, and get on with it as, a, as, an, as an actress. I went back to Australia and, I could, sorry, because that happened within the first week of being in LA and I couldn't, you know, I literally had written down somewhere that I wanted to, um, I wanted to sign with, you know, or meet or do a film with or have some kind of interaction with Leo mm -hmm. just because of the, um, his f um, philanthropic work, especially in the environmental arena, which I'm really passionate about as well. Um, and so I was like, he's a kind of human being. Um, and, and I realized that my whole passion for acting and telling stories was to really uh, be a, um, a, a catalyst or a voice for bigger bigger, wider, whatever issues. And I think the crazy realization I personally had at that point in time was hearing stories say about Jennifer Connelly and how, you know, I think she's so beautiful, she's talented, she's been in the industry since, um, you know, what's the this film she did with Bowie back in the day? Um, uh, Labyrinth. The Labyrinth. Yeah. You know, and that- I forgot how, that how was her. How that she was struggling to um, control her career mm. and that she ended up making some choices to do these shitty horrors and or comedies just to still be relevant yeah, right of which it of course ended up doing more damage to her career um than anything else and i was like well shit yeah we're all fucked then like it doesn't matter how how um famous you are or how well you know how much power you know you're always going to struggle to really sustain a voice and tell the stories that you really want to and i'm like sure. who am i kidding and I realized I don't want to be famous, I don't want to be a mediocre actor, and I don't want to be a struggling actor. So I was like, what am I doing? So I had this epiphany, and um, because I had so much time on my hands over the extra few few weeks, months that I was here, I ended up going off and studying Reiki and Vedic meditation and all this stuff, and um, just got right into that. So I was like doing yoga with all these different coaches and all over the city and really getting to know LA's sort mm. of from that perspective. Um, <clears throat> went back to Australia, got my Reiki certificate, and I was like, the, the sort of curtains or the blinds went up, and I was like, I don't want to act anymore. You know, I actually don't want to be an actor. I want to tell stories of value, and I want to elevate the voices of others or the messages of others, but it's not me that has to be on camera to do that, and I way prefer to be a behind the scenes. So that was yeah. probably the most distinctly pivotal moment in time where I decided to choose the business path and be more of the behind the scenes person. Interesting. Um, I mean, it's funny you say that uh, <clears throat> the struggle never ends, mm. right? And I think that's true if you're one of us, if you're Jennifer Connelly, if you're Leonardo DiCaprio. I think you know that's a, but that's a that's a hard thing to realize, especially as a young person. It's hard, really hard. But also, you know, I think we 
it's, um, you know, we, t we tell ourselves this story that there's a turning point. And of course there are. Mm. There's lots of turning points. But, <clears throat> you know, there's this sort of myth that you pay dues and then you're done and then you reap the rewards. Right. And I think that that's uh, a not true and just incredibly uh, damaging that we carry this myth forward, that, that we're always expecting mm -hmm. to sort of hit the, the downhill where everything's mm -hmm. just easy. And that doesn't exist. I have struggled with that so astronomically. Yeah. Um, in such a big way. And it has really consumed me. And I, I, I think as a result, I've empathized so greatly with the underdogs mm -hmm. and the artists and those that are, you know, that are in that, that sort of zone of struggle, which I think the large majority of us, and again, it doesn't matter if, you, if, you've, if you've, in inverted commas, made it, you know, again, the struggle to different layers and levels and degrees or whatever will always exist. Um, but I think that um, you just have to keep pursuing that path of balance and understanding and creating space and understanding that. Um, and, and you said it actually, um, in uh -oh. our, in our conversation, <laughs> don't, don't, don't turn my I words against me. I'm going to quote Josh Levine, oh, man. um, which is that, um, and I, I can't remember word for word, but it was a sentiment of that, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's like a, a it's just one sort of moving entity of all of it. Right. And it's the balance of the creativity and yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that moment in time? Yeah. We were, were talking about how, um, like another myth, I think that's perpetuated that's harmful is this idea of work-life balance, work-life balance, right? Where there's your work over here, there's your life over here. And also, yeah, just the, the, the you're too old now. This, the age stigma thing, I think it's a big, a big one. It definitely impacted me and my, 20s I was like oh, you know you've got to make it by 25 or 24 right. or like sure. fuck now I'm 26 and in four years I'm 30 and then da 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 um uh, yeah I, I you know I mean I think that's much harder for women especially in entertainment mm -hmm. but I think in general um I remember having a moment when I turned 25 and mostly I haven't really cared about age most things because you're still look gotten... so young babe you still look like a dap in 20 you know? uh I think most things in general get easier <laughs> as you get older, other than a few aches and pains. But, yeah. um, but I do remember uh, just a moment of like, you know, no one's going to say like, oh, you've accomplished so much for being so young anymore. Right. Like no one says that to me now. <laughs> right. And like, but they used to say that when I was 22, 23, I think it was around 25. I was like, okay, that's over. Like the so young part is done. And, and, and it was like a split second I was like, well, that sucks. Okay. Then, <laughs> but now what's next, right mm -hmm. now? Like if that's not the thing, then there's a new thing. There's a new thing. And there's a, you know, someone I, I interviewed tough Morgan. He, he was just saying he doesn't care that he's X, Y, Z age, won't yeah. call him out on his age, but he's still creating. So he makes time to create and keep that going and does, just doesn't judge himself. Yeah. You know, um, That's right. it is what it is. Just, um, you just get on with it. And so I think for me, I've found, you know, I've got a keyboard at home. I write music as a hobby. I get so much joy and satisfaction. So I, 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 I keep playing and writing. Um, and that, that just, you know, that if I get into the zone, like sometimes I can't stop and all of a sudden I've been writing and playing the piano for like four or five hours. And I'm like, I was meant to go to bed at 9.30 or 10. It's sure. now almost one in the morning. Um, 
I write and then with what I'm doing through the radio show and uh, and other projects I get to uh, associate my, my creativity through others which makes me really happy because um, it allows me to be creative, allows me to be strategic in business, allows them to be the voice yeah. and allows me to be the behind the scenes person and that, that all makes me really happy. I get a lot of joy and satisfaction out of all of that. So I think you just have to keep working to find what that, that voice and balance is because I do think that a lot of artists probably and creatives just don't have honest enough conversations with themselves because they're just still attached to this sort of um, this concept of sort of either fame or making it or proving, you know, whoever it, it, it themselves or their parents yeah. or somebody wrong or whatever it might, whatever their drivers and motivations are, is just, just to, you're just going to take that edge off yourself and, and there, there are different solutions and answers and, and iterations of balance where you can actually be really fulfilled in I'm, your art and craft. Just I, mean, might I, not look. I think that's such a huge point that... <clears throat> This idea that um, we have to get paid for our art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, in some ways we should be. But on the other hand, you know, all my, so many of my favorite artists and, uh, and you know, the people that, that I think of as most successful are people that have said... You know, they if they couldn't do this for a living, they would just do it anyway. Kind of what you're talking about, mm -hmm. right? And I and you know that's sort of easy to say when big checks are rolling in, but it's also true that you know every artist, art in any form is something you do for free until you get paid, right? Every musician, every painter, every writer mm -hmm. has worked for hundreds if not thousands of hours thousands of hours right with without getting paid sometimes with no expectation mm -hmm. of getting paid um and then i think usually part of what makes it so hard to sustain that output is that it is the balance shifts mm -hmm. right and when you start making art specifically for money it's a different equation mm -hmm. and it often just doesn't work as well mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah, so hard. And I think if you just sort of see yourself as a 360 business, and if you take the time to sort of map out the silos to your universe and your business, because every business has departments and divisions and whatever, um, you can put these different sort of trajectories in those silos mm. and get clear. So like I make art on Sundays for nothing, for pure joy. If it's a clusterfuck and I look and sound like an idiot or whatever it might be, then who gives a shit or if my whatever it is that you're creating um, doesn't quite um, translate to your mind's eye or the vision that you originally had, like so be it. Sure. Then I spend this time in this silo or division of myself or business making money for X, Y, Z and just getting really clear on the whys and um, sort of decompartmentalizing yourself in that way so that you are really clear on how you can show up as opposed to waking up feeling stressed and, and um, just discombobulated with this, this sort of conflict, this inner conflict and turmoil of one way or another. I'm yeah. having to drive Uber too much and my art sacrificed and I'm still struggling to pay bills versus oh, I'm selling out, I'm, I'm, I'm now make, writing these big checks, but I'm so not creatively fulfilled and right. I just don't have the time to, to find that solution. Like, just get to know yourself as a 360 business and, mm. and break yourself down and like draw, draw a map. Like whether it's a 
a pie or you know a graph whatever yeah. but just map it out and, yeah. and familiarize yourself with with you and work it out that way i think that's probably like the most sort of pragmatic practical and, and sort of like visual way and you can create your universe and try and control those you know those aspects of yourself you know mm. i think that really helps if you're enjoying this one and you like georgie's australian accent i know i do uh, let's keep in that theme. Go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my uh, interview with Aisha Jade. Aisha is a full-time influencer. She's the first person I ever heard describe her job as social media and um, had some really great lessons about coming from the Big Brother show to becoming an influencer to now building her own clothing line. She's also got a pretty nice New Zealand accent that's great to listen to, so you might enjoy that one. After we finish up here with Georgie Speakman, of course. Let's talk about Outlier. Um, so you got this show, mm -hmm. and you have uh, a lot of interesting people on, and yeah. then me. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what's the, what do you want to accomplish with that? Um, definitely. So with the show, um, <clears throat> I am like so crazy passionate about LA. Like I really love LA. Mm. Um, I think that LA is this just like such, it's such a dichotomous city. So where you're going to find your strongest and most powerful, um, voice and, you know, series of opportunities, which seems and is somewhat limitless, right, for mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. You're also going to find, like, the darkest voices in your head challenging you uh, and confronting you in, in whatever which way. So I think through the sheer nature of the the city, it, 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 it makes people behave and do certain things, um, be too impressionable or work crazy hours to achieve one's dream, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. But it's this crazy, beautiful mis mishmash and, and cross-section of, you know, business and art and creativity. So artists, creatives and executives. And I think that the through line of all things in Los Angeles, you know, really touches entertainment, tech, innovation, disruptive sure. media, hence the, hence the show. So I think like through the show, if for me, it just, um, I think there are limitless and amazing voices and people in industry to really connect with. Um, again, I get just as uh, you do, I'm sure, get enormous amounts of uh, joy and satisfaction out of having dialogues with people in industry. Yeah. And it makes me feel really happy to elevate their voices. Um, I don't get paid, so it's an absolute love job. Sure. Um, but for me, um, I think that it's really important to neutralize people's understanding or help people and other people understand how many amazing people there are mm. behind the scenes of the facades of and the, those multi-layered facades of Los Angeles. Sure. That there are incredible humans <clears throat> behind the scenes that are, are very real, informing everyday and grassroots culture, but is also, you know, the big names in the business um, that are also just very down-home humans. And I think by providing a platform whether people are actually watch, watching or listening to this show is a different story but like taking something away that's very human um is my way of kind of like giving back and yeah. injecting truth into like the community and culture of la yeah i think it's so amazing i mean you talk about your background as an actress and we tend to think 
of actors as uh, it's all about me um, for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I know that's sometimes true and sometimes not true, but that's sort of the stereotype. Um, yeah. And then you have that recruiting background where it's all about other people. Right. Right. And, yeah. And you seem to be blending those two in a really interesting way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you mentioned, you know, getting people to watch or listen to the show. You know, how, how do you think about that? Obviously, you know, as you said, you do this for yourself. And yeah. <clears throat> likewise here, you know, I do this show because I like to do it. And hopefully hopefully other people that like that like it as well can get something out of it but i you know we don't really look at the numbers we don't really care right. yeah too much about all of that mm. um uh but at the same time it's i don't know i'm i'm curious how you think about what i'm conscious of is just the sheer amount of information. Like whenever somebody tells me they listen to this show, I'm blown away. <laughs> like I'm blown away that anyone can find time to do anything. Because mm. I have a ton of podcasts oh, that I love, totally. YouTube oh, I mean, channels that I love, and I can't keep up. get through them all. Right. It's right? Hard, hard enough just I can't even get through my Netflix queue. Correct. Um, yeah, my trust emails and all of that. And so I'm curious how you think about... I don't want to say breaking through because that, that sounds maybe more planned, but you know, how you think about putting content out there in this environment where there's just so much content out there. Absolutely. Um, so you can only ever control what you can con con control. Mm. Um, there are two things in that for me. Number one, I'm a big like believer in just going with the flow, doing what you love, organically showing up and trusting yourself in the universe and ensuring that you're always connected to what you're doing. So like I, I sometimes dread the doing the interviews because I sometimes get anxiety mm. um, and I, I don't know why because the second I start, it's like amazing and I'm like, oh yeah. my God, this is just this heaven. Sure. I think it's, it's the connection and, and, the, and sharing information that like excites the shit out of me. Um, so that's, there's that there's that thing, um, but you know, going going with the flow and, and trying to enjoy enjoy the, that process as much possible and trusting that it will just go and find itself where where it needs to find itself if anywhere. Yeah. Number one, number two, um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I'm not up in social all the time. Like I I post things, mm -hmm. but I, I never I very actually rarely spend time in the platforms to be honest. Right. So um, it, it seems like I'm there, but I'm actually not really <laughs> post and I mean, I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. So but because my film and television background and my interest in storytelling <coughs> and producing and writing and all these different things, like, I sincerely also love um, creating content. And I love again, I love elevating others. So I actually really love creating a story in a post around another human being yeah. to say, hey, check out so and so or here's whatever, whatever. Um, and then hope that there's some something in there that people can connect with, or even if you just, even if even if you're impacting just one other person, that sure. that gives me satisfaction. So in terms of having um, aspirations to turn it into something big and amazing, I can't, I cannot think that way. I don't think that way. I, you, I just, I don't have the time to. Right. I'm just not in that headspace. Yeah. If if it grows organically, phenomenal. 
awesome. If if it just stays some, you know, two-bit radio show podcast situation, sure. I don't give a shit because at the end of the day, I'm still providing an outlet for others and myself and so be it. Absolutely. What, what else can you do? No, I think that's the right way to think about this stuff that, you know, obviously we're in this era of very goal-oriented yeah. social media specifically or in media. Right. And as you said, uh, there's so much of that that we just can't control. Yeah. I think luck and timing is a big one. I think if if there was just something to evolve, I mean, I originally started it just just in the privacy of my own home and my own with my own podcast mic, yeah. just to have the conversations. And it, yeah. then I kept building the content. Now I try and do live, then I do the, you know, la 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 la. So, you know, trying to build and grow all the time. Um, but I mean, if someone, because I've often thought, oh, what if someone turned around and said, oh, you know, if you could have your own show, like that was actually properly funded by mm-hmm. a network or this or that, would, would I do it? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. The goal with that is really to, um, It'd be awesome to turn it into more of a creators platform where you're actually bringing yeah. in d- additional hosts, um, yeah. and bring and say if I have my own station on the likes of a Dash Radio, bringing in the Rebel Radios and the Innovation Crushers and a few like-minded shows, sure. and bringing more of the community together, mm-hmm. um, as opposed f- for the show being about me as such, but rather just finding platforms to bring the bring everyone together, more of a creators network. Yeah. So you, you talked about your dad and, and Tony Robbins. Um, who else have been the, the important mentors for you? Um, you know, my 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 auntie, uh, my mother's okay. So my mother's cousin, Auntie Di Dizzy, um, has been a seriously prominent um, and critical role model and figure in my life. Um, probably wasn't as close to my mother growing up. Didn't have as much sort of probably, you know, that proximity and closeness. Um, she, my auntie died was as close to my father, was closer to my father. So she was related to my mother, but more close as mates with my father. Mm-hmm. But she was just such a neutral, vibrant, um, unconditional, um, charismatic, positive, incredible role model as a woman, um, independently wealthy, um, you know, self-made. She was like an entrepreneur in fashion and, you know, she's flipped homes and been successful doing her own thing. And uh, if it wasn't for her throughout my, my teens, my 20s, I often say to her, like, I just don't know if I would have survived my, you know, a- aspects of my, my upbringing and, and life at that, you know, through those, those years. Um, to be honest, people in music. So I think just people who rap and write, like I'm a huge fan, I keep, I keep mentioning Tribe and Q-tip, Q-tip mm-hmm. but like there are certain artists' voice and their lyricism and just their sonic, um, you know, without sounding like a wanker, but like their sonic vibration in their music that, that has been so soothing and I've really honestly lent into music so much as my source of inspiration nice. and um, um, to, to prop me up, put me to sleep, wake me up, satiate me if I'm, you know, in whatever state, whether mm-hmm. I'm dancing, partying, whatever it is, like music's a really big deal for me. It's not yeah. just, uh, it, it's it's kind of like my counsellor, has been my counsellor and whatever. Um, so the other main things, and then I guess from books, I started reading really young because I guess I was looking for answers, like what the is it all about? Yeah. Like what is love? Um, why are we all here? Yeah. Um, what role is a parent supposed to be playing, sorry? Mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff. And so I started reading the Eckhart Tolle's and the, 
the Jungs from a whatever perspective and like um, lots of those types of books and, and Buddhism books mm -hmm. uh, to just, just trying to understand and get perspective outside of any immediate world and environment that I was ever exposed to as a teenager yeah. to understand what it was all about. So I would have to say that a lot of the lit literature um, I chose to consume um, um, really, actually the one book that took my understanding of life and, and being a human being to another level was um, Conversations with God by oh, yeah. Neil Donald Walsh. Um, I was going through a really tough time living in Queensland, very isolated, lonely, and I went through this horrible patch of um, insomnia where I literally did not like sleep for like four nights, five, five, day, five days, to the point I was so exhausted I almost couldn't walk. And mm -hmm. I even took myself off to the hospital at that point to get an injection to try and put me to sleep. And it still took three hours to get me to sleep. I was so wired from anxiety. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, obviously very hard on myself, still am, but, you know, even back then with study and just whatever, whatever, and I got hold of this book <clears throat> and I took it after I got some sleep. I literally stayed in bed for, um, I think like two or three days. I mean, obviously was out functioning too, but like spent time reading and I was like, wow. So there's, you know, there's this lovely relationship between love and fear, mm. or you want to look at the heart and the human being's heart on soul as like love and the mind as fear. Mm -hmm. And I married, I, 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 compared that to night and day, dark and light, the sun and the moon, you know, Correct. like yin and yang, all that kind of stuff. And I took a lot away, not from a religious perspective, from, from that book, Neil Donald Walsh, but rather, wow, we have two ways of operating and going and seeing any given moment or opportunity through any lens, a fearful one or a love-driven one. Fear is obviously paranoia, anxiety, hate, jealousy, all these different things versus love, which is compassion. We all know what love is. Um, and I was like, I just have to really, so how do I, because then I started noticing and I started backtracking my thoughts. Well, how am I getting to this place? I feel this way. Well, what happened? What were the triggers? What made me feel this way? Okay, you started thinking that. Well, why were you thinking that? Because you started thinking that. Why were you thinking that? Because that happened. Why did that right. happen? Because you had this experience. So then I started understanding how, my, where my thoughts were coming from and these schools of thought, my thinking, the stories or whatever. And I was like, wow, so I'm, I'm literally showing up to myself in life from this place or that place based on X, Y, Z. If, if I can learn to trace back and get to the root cause of, of why I'm coming into my myself in fear or a, a situational circumstance and try and rewire that into love, I was like, well, this is where self-work comes in. And mm -hmm. you actually have to really, 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 really understand yourself at a very, very, very deep level to um, be able to um, overcome whatever it is and heal yourself. Because I obviously went through, and everyone's different, obviously we're all different. I think there are old old souls and new, younger souls and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I just happened to go through a lot and happened to ask really big questions really young. Yeah. But I think at, that was when I was 19, that book, was a huge catalyst for me to start really trying to own and control my thinking mm. and That's heal big. myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to lose the room soon. Uh, but before we do, so what's next? What, what else are you working on now that you can tell us about? I just want to see the people that I'm working with um, uh, be as absolutely successful as I possibly can be. Um, I want to 
see them realize their fullest and greatest power and potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with um, the people that I do on obviously a deep personal and then obviously professional level. And so it's just a matter of getting them to show up in the very best light at all times and being as deliberate and strategic in our approach to things. Um, so really, really starting that, that sort of deep-rooted place of strategy and, and all those kinds of things, but then also just going with the flow and trusting how things are unfolding and, and opportunities across their paths and what have you. And then um, trying to work with them as on a, you know, that personal level where um, that personal growth is just as important and doing that self-work is just as important, um, parallel pathing to the, their professional trajectory and where they want to show up. Um, so nice. I'm, everything in entertainment, music, tech, innovation, and disruptive media, same thing, like mm-hmm. mar- mirroring, mirroring the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. That universe is, is, for me, the money. Like, that's, that's it. That's what excites the shit out of me. Do you still, um, do you still wrestle with the, like, idea of, you know, taking a quote-unquote real job versus the sort of entrepreneurial path? Uh, absolutely not. I am so determined to continue doing my own thing for as long as I possibly can. Nice. Um, I mean, in short-term projects, collaborations, contract situations, awesome, sure. amazing, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. But in terms of being um, owned by a company, um, especially from an immigration standpoint, right. um, where I start feeling trapped, because yeah. I have, you know, I get like those feelings of <laughs> I, I need freedom. Mm-hmm. I need freedom to create and sort of do my own thing. Um, and I've also had a few bad experiences here with companies that has just put me off so hard. LA. Yeah, working for That's certain types of characters and people. Um, and I think I got to the point late last year where I was like, uh, if I ever have to go through this, I, I mean, I will, I will work my ass off and to, to continue to sort of work for myself, you know. So one of the things I think that gets harder, as we were talking about, uh, well, maybe harder in some ways than easier in others is, is Knowing what to say no to. <laughs> how do you do that? How do you how do you make that decision? <clears throat> Why do you laugh? Because I was just waiting to see whether that, if that oh. was the question was ending there or yeah, if it was yeah. going to keep going. Um, how do you say no? God, I uh, find that part really. Like how do you how do you decide to say no to something? Oh, I'm a huge gut instinct person. Okay. I think I've taken on things in the past where I'm like, this is a huge risk. Yeah. Immigration standpoint, I've got to give up one visa to do another one. It's got three months of waiting. It's spending X, Y, do- sure. you know, dollars, yeah, da, 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 da. However, I'm going to pursue this because the pros in this case are, co- are, are stronger than the cons. So like, you know, where, where are you at in the life cycle, of your, life cycle of your personal life and professional career? Where it is that you want to go? What, what do you think and hope to take away from this situation, this employment opportunity, this whatever it might be, relationship that um, will see you grow in a certain trajectory? Mm-hmm. So I try and like assess things from that perspective. But I think for me, I, I'm, I, can, I, can overwork, I can overdo it. So I can, I can um, be a bit of a workaholic and, and burn myself out, which I did do late last year. Um, so for me, it was like, Earnings, I think in, in uh, America, you have, to, you have to give time to the LA business communi- community, sure. whether you're here, from here or not, to really um, trust the relationships that you've, you've um, earned and built. 
uh, trust and trust yourself. Like it's a trust, trusting yourself thing. Yeah. Um, how, what, what are your confidence and esteem levels to be able to pursue, have the power to pursue um, the things that you want to do without having to lean into others? Um, so I think those things are, you know, it's an ongoing journey. I still have moments, I'm sure, like all of us, where, um, and, and but less, funnily enough, less working for myself. I've got more faith, confidence, and power within myself mm -hmm. on, my, on my own island, working with the people I choose to work with. Um, I feel way more sort of in control and powerful that way as opposed to leaning into somebody's payroll sure. or health insurance or uh, desk and whatever it might be, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, lightning round before I let you go. Um, some things I have to know about you. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it is. What's your favorite city to travel to? New York. Who's your favorite DJ of all time? Oh, God. Am I allowed to say that I don't have one? Sure you are. Hang on, wait. I do want to answer this, though. Who's my favorite DJ of all time? Oh, God. Lightning round. I'm not going to be lightning enough on the answer. How about, about how about somebody you've seen play live that was just memorable forever? Memorable forever. Oh, fuck. You know, some of the... You know what? I'm going to say my ex-boyfriend, Brett Chapman. Shout out, Brett Chapman. Don't even okay. know if he's still alive, babe. Last time that uh, I heard from you, there were his mother rang me to say, Brett's either going to end up in jail or dead. Mm. So he was he's a very talented, very, very talented DJ and producer. Phenomenal. He was the, one of the most influential people back in, in my late teen, teen, early 20s. 20s era of, of just phenomenal taste in nice. music. Okay. Uh, I know you talked about you're a big reader. What's the last great book you read? Um, the Attachment book by Miguel Ruiz. Mm. We did The Five Agreements. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of people know it as The Four Agreements. That's a great nice. one. Yeah, I love his writing. Very simple. Yeah. Very clear. Clean and strong. What movie have you seen the most in your life? Braveheart. Oh, cool. Or Clueless. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good mix. <laughs> yeah. Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. Well, absolutely, unequivocally moving to America. Yeah. Complete the sentence. I don't have talent. I have blank. The word I'm looking for is not is is not drive or ambition is resilience. Mm. Yeah. I'm highly resilient. That's big. If I if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? If you work for me, Josh? Yeah. Would you like to work for can me? Can I work for you? <laughs> can I work for you? Sure. We can um, work for each other. What would you hear me say? Mm. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, there's a few things. Come on, let me give you one. I mean, probably this too shall pass. Everything happens for a reason. Okay. Um, I'm pretty, I'm a bit of a perfectionist with mm. work, so I'm sure I'll be cracking the whip. Josh. Nice. <laughs> 
What's that? What's that? Uh, what does that sound like? What's that what sound like? like? Um, just always, always mean as you say, uh, do as you say. Mean. What, what's the saying? Do. Mean as you say, say as you do. There you go. That is what my number one thing. I always back my shit up. Yeah. Always. If I haven't, there's, there's some something's there's been some whatever. But I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Uh, pretty particular about you know sh showing up if I say something and I say I'm going to do it sure. or I want to deliver to a particular level I make sure that I do who would you be most excited to learn that is appreciates your work mm. yeah probably just my own clients and like um, the the wider ecosystem of those that I work with sure you know? yeah yeah that's pretty nice yeah I mean, the, the, the everyday people that see you are get bored of hearing your voice or seeing your face or hearing your whatever it is that you have to say work-wise still appreciate you and like yeah. a present to your work is pretty amazing that's big yeah so how does everyone find you an outlier so my handle on social is just georgie speakman which is g-e-o-r-g-i-i -I speak man s-p-e-a-k-m-a-n um, so that's Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can check out outliertv.co. Um, so that's just outlier as in O-U-T-L-I-E-R-T-V.co, not .com. Um, and the handles, I think, are different. I think the outlier co TV, I think it's outlier co TV, not the other way around. So it's just, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we can find the show on Dash Radio. On Dash Talk, working, still working towards getting our own station, but right. um, it's a big, big, big programming situation. I'm actually just grappling with the, the timing time I have around facilitating that. But yeah. otherwise, um, my show is every uh, Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on Dash Talk X. Awesome. And then you can check all the interviewees on the, the Outlier um, Core TV Instagram handle and the website, of course. You can access anytime, similar to Rebel Radio. Nice. Thank you so much. It was a fun Thank talking you, to you. Thank you, Josh. I love it. It was really awesome. Can't wait for the next yeah, one. Yeah. Thank you again. Yo, that was Georgie Speakman on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you leave us a comment on iTunes, on Twitter, on Facebook. It's all at Rebel Radio Net. You can check out videos from a lot of our episodes on our YouTube channel at Rebel Radio Net. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.